This is Toasted Sister, I'm Andy Murphy. Can we just listen to this intro music for a bit? It reminds me of tasty smoked meats and family cookouts. guest is Brian Yazzie. He's a chef de cuisine for the sous chef in Minneapolis, and he's Dene. Welcome to Toasted Sister, Brian. Thank you for having me. Uh, so what have you been working on lately? Lately, I've been just doing uh, chef collaborations and working with other chefs across um, the country and going to these various um, food symposium and food festivals for um, indigenous food sovereignty. Let's start from uh, the beginning. Uh, where did you start cooking? Was this something that you've always done or have been interested in, or when did you start? Yeah, well, it's always been a part of my life um, growing up, coming from a big family with seven siblings. And for me, as a single parent, you know, my, my, my dad passed away when I was about five years old, and I'm the youngest in the family. So I never had a chance to get to know my dad. And, and my mom was always in the kitchen, you know, cooking large amounts of meals every chance she had to spend time with the family. And I would say I was about seven or eight when I started helping her in the kitchen, um, chopping up onions or dicing potatoes and um, tomatoes, you know, just something simple I would help her with or stir the um, soup or something that's on the stove. It wasn't something that I was really into. I just seen it as a hobby, as something, as a lifestyle, being part of a large family, and we would all help every chance we had in the kitchen. And I was doing my part. So throughout high school, you know, I did some cookouts and stuff with with friends that I grew up with. You know, we do cookouts, and I would always be at the grill or at, at the burners cooking something for everyone. And it's just something I, I did and not something I really focused on until recently. Okay. And, and where are you from? I'm from a small community called Benahoto, Arizona, which is on the Navajo Nation, northeast area of the Navajo Nation. Okay. And was there always an emphasis on Native foods when you were growing up? Personally, no. Not that I remember. Mm-hmm. The last person in my family who I do have knowledge of that would forage and cook fresh food was my my grandma on my mom's side. As a kid, I, I remember seeing her out, out and about, you know, collecting wild um, spinach or lamb quarters or, you know, wild onions and carrots, and she would cook that, you know, and that's the last person I remember in my family doing so. And growing up, no, it wasn't. It was basically just your um, typical, you know, Indian tacos and, um, that type of stuff. 
And uh, when you started learning about indigenous ingredients and and uh, putting together indigenous foods, um, how, how did how did you start thinking maybe differently about what you grew up eating? The knowledge that I gained within the last couple of years, specifically on indigenous ingredients, um, I learned that there is more to um, our food beyond fry bread. That's something I didn't have knowledge of growing up, you know, going to these local flea markets on the res, you know, going to family and you have tourists and you have people enjoying any type of soup with dumplings, with dough and fried bread on Navajo or Indian tacos, you know. And to me, I thought that was indigenous food, you know. To a certain point, it is post-reservation, but that's something I've seen. But recently, I started realizing we had more more to what I knew back then. You know, I, we have it's more in depth of the ingredients that we have available. Okay, and uh, so your relationship to fry bread has changed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you explain uh, major, how, yeah, how do you think way. about fry bread now? The vision and the concept I have of it, well, I don't think it'll ever change. After I started taking um, indigenous food. Um, as a as a path in my career as a culinarian, so yeah, it's one of the the ingredients already on the dish that I stay away from personally. As I'm pursuing this career and talking about the lifestyle, you know, it's something that I have to live and follow that path and not just talk about it. It is a sensitive sensitive situation, especially within my family. But personally, yeah, I I stay away from it. Okay. Do you ever miss it? Yeah, definitely. You know the um, just the texture and just the way you know the, the savory taste of it. You know, but um, I mean, I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm not going to lie and say that I don't. You know, I do. But definitely, you can make an alternative type of dish, but it won't be the same. Yeah, I always um, uh, think about that whenever I do have a craving for fry bread, um, because I did <laughs> produce that one show all about fry bread, and it was this whole, you know, almost kind of fight <laughs> about fry bread, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, it's not traditional, it's unhealthy, you know, diabetes and stuff, and then on this side, it's like, but it's so good, it's so <laughs> good. <laughs> you kind of, sh- you know, once you learn the truth behind all of this, and where, you know, flour and those ingredients for fry bread come from and, and that kind of uh, history of colonization right there. It's just kind of uh, maybe you, you start to think about these things uh, a lot differently. And now that I'm doing Toasted Sister, I'm thinking about foods differently too. I mean, the whole scorched earth sort of thing um, that happened in the past is kind of what defines, you know, how we how we eat food, where we get it, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't something natural. And, you know, now I'm just, like, looking at foods in a totally different way. When you look at food, what do you see, especially looking at some of these I- indigenous ingredients that you're using? I see endless possibilities, as in what can, what creativity of it in the kitchen. You know, yesterday, my, um, my girlfriend myself and um, one of the sous chef team members, Tashia Hart, we went out scouting in one of the areas here in Twin Cities called um, Pike Island, which is part of the um, historical site of Fort Snelling. And we went out checking the areas for foraging season, you know, and just for me, I'm still learning about um, plants. And Tashia Hart, our ethnic botanist with a sous chef, you know, she 
I'm learning a lot from her. We're walking around the island and just looking at some plants that are developing, that are sprouting and coming out for the season. You know, she identifying these type of plants and explaining to me what these are and when to harvest and, you know, what it can be used for and the texture and the taste of it. When you're in the environment of the natural resources, you know, you just, I would look around and just pick and choose what I would use to cook and to create a dish with. But before... It was different, you know. I would ha- have to look at this vision differently as in looking on, going through grocery aisles or, you know, picking and choosing frozen meats, you know. But now, in a way, I can sit back and have that on my mind and just envision what I can make and what's available and from the local co-op, sort of the local um, landscape. Mm-hmm. All right, and you mentioned you're still learning, and um, what I've been hearing from uh, the sous chef is that uh, you guys don't use too many colonized ingredients like uh, butter, flour, and stuff like that. Uh, how was it for you to sort of drop those ingredients and, um, you know, still make these delicious, intricate dishes here without those ingredients? As for me, it was hard in the beginning. Mm. I started working with uh, Chef Sean Sherman in 2014 while I was still in culinary school. And this is the year that I will never forget working with Sean, starting up with him and also attending culinary school at the same time because to me it was cooking in two different worlds. Being on campus and cooking these different cuisines across the world and leaving campus and working in the kitchen with Sean and excluding all those foreign ingredients gluten, dairy, processed sugar, you know, just taking all of those off my mind and working with what we have here in North America and what's in season. It, it, it was mind-boggling for me. It was relearning and retraining my, my brain every other day when I'm in a different kitchen. It was hard in the beginning, but now I can do alternative ingredients. And, of course, in a way, it will not taste the same as in using butter or using wheat or using dairy, you know, but um, there's alternative ingredients out there that we can use, and we're not trying to recreate the same dish again. We're doing something in our own lane and putting ourselves back in our ancestors' moccasins hundreds of years ago and envisioning of what they would cook with what they had, what they would prepare, and how they would prepare the food. So now it's a lot easier for me to envision and to cook something without foreign ingredients. And last night I did stay up late making that maple syrup sage salmon recipe that you gave me with the wild rice pilaf and the poblano salsa. It was really good. I really, (laughs) really was surprised at how well um, maple syrup and uh, salmon can go together, just like Dave Manuel from the, the, the podcast extra that I made. I mean, he, he carries around that uh, a little bottle of maple syrup with him, and he loves it on fish, and I can see why. It was, it was really good, Brian. That, that was a really good recipe. Yeah, Thank um, you. Definitely. Yeah, I've I seen that this morning, and... You know, it definitely looked good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and just, it, it does complement the salmon, as, even though they're from different regions of, of um, North America, you know, they're mm-hmm. from different landscapes and different ecosystems, but, you know, they, they complement. And that is one thing for myself with Yazi the Cook, what my plan and what I envision to do long-term is to focus not only on one region of the North America, 
or South America, but I like to um, collaborate these different ingredients from different areas, and which is what you'll see on my page as well. You know, you always sage and maple glaze with salmon, quinoa and amaranth with um, mixture with wild rice flour or something. You know, I, that's one thing I look. I like to look outside the box in a way. I mean, no, no disrespect to chefs who are focused in their region, regional areas, but I like to focus on a larger picture and not having limited access to what I like to do. Yeah. And the uh, poblano, the salsa, was that a homage to uh, Arizona and the Southwest? Definitely. Every, every <laughs> dish I make, I try and incorporate some type of spice. Being from Arizona, actually, is just, I love chili. You know, I love um, spicy food. Here in the here in the Midwest in Minneapolis, it, it's different. You know, people are not into that spice. They're not into um, the um, the hot sauces or anything like that. Right. So, uh, who have you made that dish for? It's one of my go-to dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I made that dish for a um, Power for Hope, which is um, part of the American Indian Cancer Foundation, and they're based out of Minneapolis. One of their um, annual powwow last year. They had the opportunity to do a chef demo and to serve samples, and that's one of the dish that I did sample. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you for that. And uh, the pictures turned out really well too. Um, uh, I, I used like a teal, uh, bluish plate, and really bright. The salmon turned out to be like really bright red, pink, pink color. So it was really good. So you cooked, of course, you cook for a lot of people, a lot of different organizations, and um, you've been to Standing Rock a couple of times. Um, what What did you take away from there? Well, first of all, with working with the catering company, you know, we do pop-up dinners and different events. And, you know, you will work for a crowd of like 25 or a crowd of 500 or 700. I was already in that circle of knowing what to do when you're in the situation of cooking for so many people throughout the day. Also, coming from the large family, it's just something that I never got away from, cooking a meal for a large amount of people. And... My contribution to Standing Rock is pretty much cooking indigenous meals for um, our indigenous warriors who are fighting for their rights. Not only while the the pipeline and the oil affect the tribe locally or the millions who reside downstream, but it also affects our ecosystem, our plant relatives and our, our animals, you know, what we depend on, you know, and they depend on that water. That was my contribution and what I envision helping for that reason. And what I took away from that is just learning and cooking with these different tribes. You know, you had tribes that brought muskrat, that brought beaver, and you had a tribal member from the West Coast who brought shark, shrimp, you know, these all these different seafood and these different regional food that was brought and I was able to use it. And uh, But of course, I had to talk to one of the local elders and ask for that permission if it's okay, because different tribes, you know, they have different food and culture, and some cultures can't eat seafood, and some can't eat, you know, the, the, et cetera. And so I always have to get permission first before I make something. That's one thing I learned, that always be active and always, always recalculate when you're in the kitchen or in the environment, when you're cooking with large amount of people, and always know what is brought and what you can cook and what you can't. 
All right. And what is one specific dish that you made for the water protectors there? One of the main dishes that I made a couple times is a, a simple um, bison and wild rice soup with wild onions and blue corn polenta left over. And I incorporated that into the soup to give it some color and some texture. And I had that soup going on basically all day. And it was served for dinner. And the second dish was um, a bison sandwich that I made. I We smoked bison in the smoker for about five to eight hours. You know, we sliced up the meat and cooked, finished them off in the grill. And then we made um, something similar to arepa, um, something similar to gordita. We made a cornbread out of masa. We fried the masa and we sliced the inside and we cooked the inside as well. We made sandwiches out of bison and a bunch of um, fresh mushrooms. And there's a lady, that same day, a lady brought in a um, forage of onions that she had chopped up and she froze. And, you know, and then we just put that on the stovetop, sauteed those, and we incorporate into the sandwich. So that was one of the sandwiches that I made a couple times as well. And, you know, everyone just loved it and without using any wheat or something, you know, to, to make the bread out of it. So it was just simple cornbread. All right, that sounds delicious. You've been getting a lot of media coverage. You've been uh, featured in a lot of different articles from a lot of different news sources. Um, but you, we never really hear about like the personal side of you. Uh, when you are not cooking, what are you doing? For me, it's always something revolving around food. You know, <laughs> when I'm there, my off, my off time, I'm on the I'm on the web researching different foods from different cultures and different regions of the U.S. You know, as events coming up, projects coming up in the near future, you know, I'm looking into those local tribes and what they have and what's in season in that area. You know, I mean, to me, it's constantly working, even when I'm not in the kitchen or when it's a day off. I'm still teaching and learning myself because as a chef, you know, everyone, to be honest, everyone will say the same thing. You learn something new every day. So constantly um, learning something new and always studying and researching different areas and just new techniques or different ingredients. And besides food, on a personal level right now, my girlfriend and I, we have been dating for eight, we've been together for eight years and we're in the process of um, working on adoption. We have um, fertility problems, so our next step one in the family is adoption. So we're looking into the Navajo Nation. So my next step is just focusing on family and, you know, just starting a, a household and also in the process of moving to a larger home. So. All right. Well, good luck in all of that. That sounds like uh, you're, you're on your way. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. let's see. Well, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I get asked that question so many times. Um, <laughs> I like all types of music, especially um, classic or old school hip hop. Oh, okay. And right now I'm into um, the uh, Chef movie soundtrack. Uh, my staff and my coworkers in the kitchen, and they would hear that soundtrack over and over throughout the day. Do you have any pets? No, I don't. No, I don't. What are some of your favorite animals? Well, I love dogs and Currently, the place that we are residing, we can't have any um, any pets. And, and 
hopefully when we move into a new place, um, we will have be able to have a dog. So dogs are what I love, and I like cats as well, but I'm allergic to cats, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't do cats. Yeah. What's your favorite restaurant? My kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I am very um. I um, listened to an interview that you had before with Chef Carlos Baca and how basically what he said is how I am in LA to where he's very picky when he's out and about at a restaurant or anywhere, you know, a food establishment. Kind of hard because my girlfriend likes something and I won't, you know, but sometimes, you know, I would give it and, you know, yeah, the same place. By the same time, I'm very picky of what I eat. And most of the time, I would like to just be home and cook at home. Are there any foods that you don't like? Um, let's see. Like for me, it's olives. I can't stand anything with olives in it. And um, every year or maybe twice a year, I try to eat an olive to see if maybe my my mind has changed its mind about <laughs> about olives, but it hasn't yet. So that's that's one thing I can't stand. And also like um potatoes in a soup. I don't I don't like that for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big novel thing right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I, I love green olives. Mm. Just the the saltiness of it, you know, I, I love that. But um on a side note, I cannot eat blue cheese. I tried so many times. Oh. I that's one thing I I'm not fond of, and it's just something I don't have in my diet. You know, I tried so many times, like just cheese, the blue cheese from the deli, or an expensive type of blue cheese, but that's something I never liked. And besides that, I I can't eat turnips. So just something about it, I don't know. Turnips. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, to me, it kind of tastes like horseradish. Mm-hmm. That's one one thing I don't like as well. I cannot get get around the taste of horseradish. Right. So the sous chef has has become the media's definition of indigenous food. Uh, how, how do you feel about all that uh, all that coverage and um, you know sort of being that definition of indigenous food there? Well, there, that is definitely a touchy, a touchy subject and mm-hmm. sensitive with other um, native chefs across the country, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And, yeah, um, yeah. That you know they have their own perspective, and there, there's these, you know, not picking and choosing sides, but it's just that um, where what's in our own community, within our own indigenous food movement, we're looked upon a bit differently. That's something that has come up at a couple of recent um food sovereignty events, you know, and also throughout social media. But from my point of view, it's not something that we did, like, in a way, ask for, like, attention and all that. It's just that we are being aggressive in what we are doing in our contribution to the indigenous food movement. We're being aggressive and we're being active and we're looking at a bigger picture. We're not only looking at the micro, micro-regional areas, you know. We have that level to where we can use and take advantage of and focus on different areas of North and South America, up to Canada, up to Alaska. You know, we have that level, we have that opportunity, and we, we, we are taking advantage of that, and we're using that. And, uh, for example, you know, we did a couple of 
pop-up dinners, and they invited a couple of chefs, and they showcased their region of a cuisine at a pop-up dinner that we had a couple of times. And it, it was just giving them, giving these chefs their resources and giving them the tools and the network that they need to build their establishment in their community, in their area. Yeah, so one thing that we are doing is we're looking at a bigger picture and we're using the opportunities that we have to help and to bring others along and to give them that guidance and that tool that they need. And so what's in the works uh, these days? What are you guys excited about? I think I see a cookbook or something you guys are ready to release. Yeah, cookbook should be coming out in um, October and um, November. Nice. Um, this year, and that's some, that was a working process with Sean for a couple of years now, and it is in the process, and it'll be coming out this year. That's one of the projects that we have. Mm-hmm. The other projects, of course, open up the restaurant. Looking for a restaurant and have, finding a place where we can connect the garden to the restaurant and have and grow our own ingredients, and also um, changing the um changing the atmosphere of a, of a restaurant, meaning inside the kitchen, you know, have open pit fires and wood stove, you know, just these earth ovens and not exactly what's, what you see in a typical kitchen, but it's just something that we're going to be focusing on as we are cooking indigenous foods. Next month, a couple of team members will be going out to um, Michigan to um, G-Jock. We're, uh, we'll be part of the the Great Lakes Intertribal Food Summit in um, April 19th through the 24th, I believe. And last year, I attended that event. There was about 15 chefs. Now this year, it's up to like 35 native chefs throughout North America. You know, and it's, it's going to be a big event. And, you know, anyone who has a chance to go or would like to participate, you know, just contact Kevin Finney or Dan Cornelius. Or reach out to me, and I can, I can in a way connect, connect you guys, and you know, just having this food movement um, growing and having all these chefs collaborate is just something awesome to see. You know, we, we need everyone on deck and just helping out with what they can. There's one, if you don't mind, there's one thing that I'd like to mention as well. Um, okay, go ahead. Regarding the upcoming projects, mm-hmm. is um, where the the sous chef are working on a, a nonprofit organization called North American Traditional Indigenous Food System, or for short, it's a native. And we're focusing on um, retelling um, some of these um, dishes that we're working with and also looking at the indigenous food education, which will be part of our restaurant when we open. We'll have the culinary um, curriculum be part of our um, kitchen and bringing um, the youth and bringing um, our tribal members and, you know, develop these um, culinary partnerships and helping them in educating their food ways. Sean, myself, and Dana will be leaving for um, France the first the first week of May. We'll be out there for about a week and a half. And the, what we're, we are part of a um, international um, food expo in France, in Paris, France. And one of the things they have is um, the Midwest Twin Cities. Mm. And we'll be part of that and representing the Midwest Indigenous food. Cool. Well, good luck and safe travels. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
that was Brian Yazzie, Danae Chef de Cuisine of The Sous Chef. During the show, I mentioned Yazzie's maple sage glazed salmon with wild rice pilaf and roasted poblano salsa. I made it in my kitchen and I was surprised at how simple yet intricate the dish turned out to be. You can find the recipe online very soon because I'm almost done with my article for Indian Country Today. It's called Five Recipes from Five Native Chefs. Look for it in the next couple of weeks. I'll be posting about it on social media once it comes out. Toasted Sister was created by me, Andy Murphy. You can find more episodes on the website, ToastedSisterPodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and SoundCloud. And if you really like this program, please rate and review it on iTunes. It would really help get the word out about this show. All this great music was created by C.W. Ione for Toasted Sister. Find out more about his music on his website, cwayon.com.